Well, happy Mother's Day weekend, and thank you so much for joining us for Church Online. We're really glad that you've chosen to celebrate with us today. You know, it was 1913 when Arthur Pop Momond came up with the comic strip known as Keeping Up with the Joneses. The strip ran for 27 years. It ran from 1913 to 1940. And the whole entire comic strip was based around this family, the McGinnis family, that was trying to keep up socially with another family called the Joneses. I'm sure you've heard the term before. What's really interesting, though, is in that comic strip, uh, the artist never revealed what the Joneses looked like. They, they were never a part of the comic strip. They're almost this shadow, this enigma that lurks beneath the surface and hides behind the scenes, beckoning the McGinnis family forward, trying to chase after some illusion that they never actually caught up to. The whole comic strip is based around the idea of comparison. That, that's what that term, keeping up with the Joneses, is all about. And if keeping up with the Joneses was difficult in 1913, might I suggest to you that keeping up with the Kardashians in 2020 is absolutely exhausting. Yeah, there are some who argue that this idea of envy or comparing our lives to the life of another person is more present now than ever before. There's a columnist, Moya Sarner, who wrote, not only do we compare ourselves to friends and neighbors, as people have always done, but now online, we measure up against people all over the globe. Celebrities and strangers and friends of friends. One therapist coined the term comparisonitis, an emotional sickness, which, can be, which can't be intellectualized or curbed by willpower. I think it's true. In our Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest generation, we have the ability to compare ourselves to everybody. And it starts to wage war on our soul, doesn't it? See, the, this is nothing new in the scriptures. Scriptures have been talking about comparison from the very beginning. In fact, if you were to look up Genesis chapter 25, verse 28, there's a story of Jacob and Esau, these two twin brothers. And if there were ever a scenario for comparison, twin brothers is the ideal canvas, is it not? Well, the story is shaped around um, their relationship, but it begins with their parents. And it says this in verse 28, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. See, dad loved Esau, but mom loved Jacob. The whole family dynamic was built around comparing one son to the other son. And if you go and read the story, all of that leads to lies and deceit and betrayal and social distancing. We'll call it that now since we're in that season and war. But it starts because of comparison. See, I wonder if we compare ourselves to other people far more than we're even aware. Peter certainly did. 
And it's his story that we're going to look at together today. I'd like to invite you to open your Bible and turn there, turn to John chapter 21. We're going to begin in verse 15 in just a few moments. And I'm so excited about sharing this passage of scripture before with you today because the scriptures are just so honest. They're so raw. They give us these portrayals of our, our heroes who sometimes succeed and sometimes do the right thing and live in faith and other times they just fall flat on their face. See, Peter struggled with comparison. I don't know if you're aware of that. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 33, Jesus was talking about somebody who was going to betray him. And Peter stood up and he said, though they all fall away because of you, I never will. I mean, notice what he's saying. Yeah, all these other disciples, I'm sure they're going to fall short because they're not quite as good as me. But me? Oh man, Jesus, I will never betray you. What does he do? He betrays Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. And then after those betrayals and after Jesus' death, he goes back to fishing. It's why in Mark chapter 16, uh, verse 7, the angel says to Mary, but go and tell Jesus' disciples and Peter that he has gone before you to Galilee. The disciples and Peter, because Peter had written himself off. In Peter's mind, he was no longer a disciple. He had betrayed his Messiah. But here's the thing, here's the thing, here's the thing. Don't miss this today. I love the way that Jesus looks for Peter in his hiding and in his comparison, and he reframes his calling for him at his moment of most despair and most shame and most guilt. See, I'm going to read this whole section of scripture today, and I just want to invite you to let it wash over you and just try to picture yourself there. Beginning in verse 15, this is what the scriptures say. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? There's a lot of debate about what the these are. Um, Are they the fish that he's just caught? Um, Are they the other disciples? Uh, Nobody really knows. Most people think it's probably the disciples that he's referring to. Do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then he said to him, well, then feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, then tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said it to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And then Jesus said to him, well, then feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. He said this to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. And Peter turned And he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it's my will 
that he remain until I come? What is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread amongst the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say that he was not to die. But if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? I'm captured by this moment. This intimate moment between Jesus and Peter. Where Jesus is expressing his affection to Peter. And he's inviting Peter to express his affection back to his Messiah And in this moment, what does Peter do? He looks at John and he goes, well, what about John? What's going to happen with John? I want to compare my journey to John's journey. And what Jesus does is he looks at Peter, I'm sure with grace and compassion in his eyes. And he says, "Um, Peter, what is that to you? You're comparing your journey to everybody else's, Peter. It's not about that. It's about following. It's about following. See, and I'd invite you to write this down this morning or today, that we are freed from the destructive power of comparison when we walk confidently in God's calling. And that's what Jesus continually does to Peter. He points him back to his calling. I'm convinced it's what he wants to do for you today also. As John Tyson so poignantly wrote, comparison is the root of most of the misery that we feel. It makes it impossible to view ourselves from any sort of godly perspective. It's an absolute snare for the soul. I mean, think about it. When you compare yourself to other people, there are really only two options. Number one, you come out looking better than them, and then you grow prideful. Number two, you come out looking worse than them, and then you have a low self-esteem and you struggle with self-worth. Either way, you lose. Even if you win, you lose. And so Jesus wants to teach us, as his disciples and as his followers, how to live free from comparison, confident in our calling, so that we can walk into the life that he has for us. So I hope you have the the scene in your head that uh, Peter and Jesus are sitting on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, that right before um, Jesus and Peter met, Peter was out on the sea fishing and he saw Jesus walking across the land. And the text says that he actually put on his clothes and jumped into the water to swim to him. I mean, score one for Peter. How awesome is that? He is soaking wet, fully clothed, and he's sitting with Jesus. And they have this beautiful, tender moment of Jesus coming to him and reinstating him. And there's all these details that John includes for us. One of them is found in verses 9 and 10. Listen to what John wrote. He says this, when they got out on the land, they saw charcoal fire in place with fish laid out and with bread. This is the breakfast that Jesus is preparing for them. Verse 9 or verse 10. And Jesus said, Uh, to bring them, to bring them some fish that you've just caught. And he's going to prepare them for him. But John tells us that it's a charcoal fire. Why in the world would he give us those kind of details? 
Well, it's really interesting. If you go back just a few chapters and you read in John chapter 18, starting in verse 18, here's what you read. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. And Peter was there also standing and warming himself. Jump down to verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself right next to the charcoal fire. And so they said to him, you are also one of his disciples, aren't you? And he denied it and said, I am not. See, it's around a charcoal fire that Peter denies Jesus one of the three times. And it's on a charcoal fire that Jesus prepares Peter breakfast. It's the exact same reason that Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Because he's stepping into his pain. He's actually stepping into his failure because here's what Jesus knows about Peter and what Jesus knows about you and me is that it is impossible to move healthily into the future if we don't adequately deal with our past. And when I say deal with our past, I don't mean ignore our past and I don't mean forget our past and I don't mean minimize our past. What I mean is that we name the things that we've done and the places that we've been and we call out to God and we ask for forgiveness and we confess our sins and we let grace wash over us. We invite Jesus into the places of our deepest pain and our deepest failure and our deepest regret and our deepest, I wish I would have done that a different way. And we let him speak a better word, a word of grace and a word of love and a word of mercy. See, here's the first comparison that we see is that Jesus is addressing Peter's comparison, his comparison of his reality versus his ideal. His reality of what he's actually done and where he's actually been. He denied his Messiah and his ideal. I wish I wouldn't have done that. I wish I could take those words back. I wish I could stand in solidarity with Jesus instead of shrinking back in fear. See, it's important to note that Peter has gone back to fishing because after you deny your Messiah, you are no longer invited to be a disciple in this culture at this time. Peter's gone back to fishing, but he's even gone back to fishing after he knows that Jesus has been resurrected. This is the third time Jesus has appeared to him. See, he knows that Jesus has died and risen again. He knows that Jesus has conquered death, but he doesn't yet know that Jesus has overcome his failures. And you might not know the same thing. That the passage of scripture in Romans chapter 8 verse 1 is true for you today. There is therefore now, right now, in this moment, wherever you are, whatever regrets you have, whatever things you wish you could take back, your reality. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I love it. Read back through this passage because when Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? He doesn't say back when Jesus affirms, I love you. Jesus doesn't say to him, well, then why'd you deny me? And why'd you fail me? And why did you let me down? And why'd you leave me alone? He doesn't. There's this healing moment where Jesus listens to Peter's affirmation, offers him grace 
and then moves him forward. I'm convinced that Jesus is coming to you the same way today. We all have this comparison in our mind, this comparison of our ideal. I I should do things this way. I should be this way. I should have said this to my kids. Any moms out there want to play that game? Yeah, I I should have done that. But I actually did this. What do we do with that comparison and that tension? Here's what we do, and I'd invite you to write this down. We trust that our failures don't nullify God's faithfulness. We trust that our failures don't nullify God's faithfulness. If Jesus can forgive and reinstate Peter, if Jesus can forgive and reinstate someone like Paul, Jesus can forgive and reinstate someone like you. This, friends, is a beautiful picture of the gospel. What if we started to learn how to have as much grace for ourselves as Jesus has for us? I mean, this is Mother's Day. So uh, just a a word for moms. And I know that's dangerous as a dad, but man, I want to encourage you. I know that there's things that we all say that we wish we could take back or things we do that we wish we could take back. But what if we learned to have as much grace for ourselves as Jesus has? See, See, that's the beauty that your failure does not nullify God's faithfulness. Hold on to that calling. And so here's what Jesus, where Jesus goes next. He says to Peter, do you love me? And three times he asks him, and then he gives him a little bit of a different charge each time. He says, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, and feed my sheep. Now, I just want to point out that it's a little bit ironic that we're talking about feeding on Mother's Day. Because in this season of COVID-19 lockdown, all the moms, can I get a hearty amen, that it just feels like you're feeding people all the time, right? And it's not exactly easy to buy groceries. Like you have everybody in your family at home and you have to get on combat gear to go to the grocery store. You have to social distance in line and you have to battle just to get food because some of the stuff you want isn't readily available on the shelves. So I'm sure reading feed my sheep and feed my lambs is exactly what you wanted to hear on Mother's Day. (laughs) But feeding is a lot of work, isn't it? And it's a lot of work for the kind of feeding that Peter was going to be called to do also, that pastoral care, the care of souls, the partnering with Jesus as he builds his church. And see, I bet Peter's question is the exact same question that many of us have when we hear the call of God. Here's the question. Do I have what it takes? Am I going to let people down? Am I going to be a failure? Whether it's as a mom or a dad or as a business owner or as a teacher or an electrician, whatever your calling is, do I have what it takes? Am I going to let the people who are relying on me down? Am I going to, am I going to fail? And see, here's the comparison that is being stirred up in Peter's heart, and I think it's stirred up in our hearts and our minds also. It's the comparison between what we have and what we feel like we need, right? It's a comparison of what we actually have possession of, 
all of our skills and our ingenuity and our resources and our gifting and what we feel like we need to accomplish the task that's in front of us. And if you're anything like me, there are seasons in life when I don't feel like I have what it takes to accomplish what God has put in front of me. I have, fill in the blank, I have this, but I really need that. I have fear, but I need courage. I have busyness, but I need time. I have this IQ, but I need that IQ. I have time, but I need to be able to leave my house, right? That's the season that we're in right now. And here's the pattern that's in the scriptures. We're going to see it in Peter's life and in other leaders in the Bible's lives also. Here's the pattern. Bring what you have to Jesus and trust that he will turn it into what you need. Bring what you have and trust that he'll turn it into what you need. My favorite example of this is Moses, the great leader of the Israelite people who led the nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And he had to go to the Pharaoh and you've seen the movie, right? Let my people go. And Moses is struggling with, how am I gonna ever have the power to do that? God, that's a big calling. And listen to the way that the scriptures point out God's way forward. Exodus chapter four, verses one through three. And the Lord, then Moses answered, behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses ran from it. See, what's really interesting is that God doesn't ask Moses, hey, Moses, what do you need? Because Moses would have said, oh, I need a well-trained, very powerful, resourced army. That's what I need. Pharaoh's the most powerful ruler in the world. There's no way we're getting out of here if we can't fight well. That's what I need. But God doesn't ask him what he needs. God asks him what he has. And he submits what he has and God turns it into what he needs. Oh, friends, I just think this is such a beautiful word for us today because so many of us are looking at situations, we're looking at the calling that God has placed on our life and we're going, I don't have what it takes in order to do that. And I think Jesus would ask us, what do you have? And will you surrender to me what you have? to that mom and dad out there that have a special needs child. What do you have? You have love? Surrender it to him and let him turn it into what you need. To the single mom out there who's struggling. Do you care for your kids? You do. Offer it to him and let him make it what it needs to be. See, calling starts where we are with what we have. And so many of us have this idea of calling in our mind where calling is going across the globe. Calling is doing something else somewhere else, right? But what if we started to believe that calling started right where we are right now with what we have, surrendering it to Jesus, trusting that he will make it exactly what we need. 
What if we started to serve the people around us, to point people at our jobs to Jesus, to be a loving and intentional parent? What if we started to believe that Jesus was going to take what we have and turn it into what we need? See, I want to encourage you to write this down. It's under this idea of calling. Look to the strength of your God, not to the size of your task. See, I have no, no doubt that the calling in front of you is significant. But I also have no doubt that the God who is for you is extravagant. I know there's a comparison going on. I have this, but I need that. Lift it to Jesus and trust him to make what you have exactly what you need. I think this is a game changer. What if we learned to look at the size of our God rather than the magnitude of our task that's in front of us? I think it would free us to walk into the future with confidence and strength and boldness that the Spirit of God is at work in us. So here's the two contrasts we've seen so far, the two comparisons. The comparison between our reality and our ideal and the comparison between what we have and what we think we need. And there's one more that I want to draw out for us today. It's found in verses 20 through 23. And you remember this section that where Peter looks at John and says, well, what about him? It says this, and when Peter saw him, verse 21, he said to the Lord, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. I think all the parents in the house can almost hear Peter saying, but that's not fair. (laughs) If you have kids that you've been um, quarantined with in this COVID season, my guess is you've heard that that's not fair. And we all want fairness on some level, or at least we think we do, don't we? I mean, when we get our kids presents for Christmas, we get them the exact same number of presents because we want it to be fair. And I think a lot of us look up up at God too and we go, God, it's not fair. It's not fair the way that things played out. It's not fair that, that they're shady and they got the promotion. It's not fair that everything seems to go right for them and I can't seem to catch a break. It's not fair that they got that clean bill of health and I got that call from the doctor. It's not fair. And I think Jesus might look back at us just like he did to Peter and say, what is that to you? And the comparison that he's setting up is between fairness and uniqueness, (laughs) between what's fair or what's normal or what's the uniform for everybody and what's unique for you. See, Jesus is reaffirming Peter's identity. He calls him Peter again instead of Simon. He's reminding him who he is, that it's on his affirmation of faith that he's going to continue to build his church and work and move. See, Peter's calling is flowing from his identity, from his heart, from who he is. First, as a child of God, but second, as a unique creation of God. And the same is true for you and me. See, it's a, our calling flows from our identity, first as a child of God, 
So would you allow me to just preach to your soul for a few moments today? If you're a follower of Jesus, you are redeemed. You are forgiven. You are made holy. You are made right. You have been called a son or daughter of the Most High God. The Spirit of God lives in you and your good Father is for you. His goodness and mercy follows you every single day of your life. That's true of you today. It's your identity. And the second thing that's true of you is that when God knit you together in your mother's womb, He knit you together uniquely. He is not creating the Ford Model T, same thing, one right after another. He's an Etsy shop, creating unique expressions of the image of God that every single person carries. It's why Paul will write in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that you are, we are, his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he prepared beforehand that we should walk into them. His workmanship, his poetry, his song. And here's what that means. Your calling is your calling. It's not everybody else's. It's unique to you. And when we lose sight of that, we get gripped by what Ronald Rollheiser called a cancerous restlessness, trying to fit into somebody else's clothes. No, 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 no. The comparison is your uniqueness to this idea of fairness. You know, I'd love for you to hear from a mom this morning. It's Mother's Day. And so I've asked Lynette Fuson, our director of women's ministry, to share some of her story with you and this idea of comparison versus calling. So I'd love for you to hear from her today. Hello. As I became aware of the passage a few weeks ago that Pastor Ryan would be speaking on this weekend, I, I had the opportunity to dive in and really explore John chapter 21 and, and talk to God a little bit about this idea of calling versus comparison. It's been a rich journey and I'm excited to get to share a little bit of that with you. Well, it's Mother's Day weekend, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to being able to encourage and challenge our moms as well as everyone else who is watching here. I, for one, as a mom, have found myself many times comparing myself to others, uh, what I have, what I don't have, uh, what I think that I need, and it's just a reality of being a human being at times. Um, I've even compared my kids to other people's kids. I can remember being at a baseball field and, and looking out as the kids and the coach walk in and thinking, that coach better put my son up because he is the best pitcher out there. Yes, I confess. And, and this one is crazy. Sometimes we even compare who has the most stressful life as if somehow we can receive this badge of honor for having the most stressful life. But in this COVID season, a very real challenge that a lot of people are facing is, is this idea of homeschooling. To some, it is, uh, it's comfortable and it's what you're used to doing. It's what you've chosen to do. But for many moms and dads and grandparents, this is a new experience. I'm a teacher by trade, so I've been trained to teach. And a number of years ago, I thought, we'll give homeschooling a try based on our circumstances. And 
I found out that homeschooling is very different than teaching a group full of eighth graders in a classroom. Uh, corralling four boys all day long in multiple subjects was very challenging. So if you are in that spot where this is a new challenge that you are facing, don't compare yourself to others. Be encouraged. It is just plain hard. My husband's in the Navy, and in that I can remember uh, early on in our Navy years having to move a lot and uh, experience a lot of change. And I found myself comparing my life to that of my friends that I felt were, were more stable. Uh, there was a time when we had the opportunity to move to North Carolina. We would have the, the privilege of going to Washington, D.C. on a long weekend or traveling down the East Coast to Florida. Awesome, awesome experiences. And yet, even in that, I would at times find myself lamenting what I no longer had in my home in California. It's amazing how so often comparison can steal our joy. But through all of those experiences, I, I took those things to the Lord and said, you know, this is our reality and this is where we are. So God, what do you have for me in this? And he started to show me that in this, we were going to possibly have a slightly different calling, not the calling that I was expecting to have. The more I studied this idea of calling being greater than comparison, the more I started to recognize that the times that I compared myself the most were times that I was the least secure in my calling and who God had made me to be in my identity as his child. Times when I would allow guilt and shame and insecurity to guide my thinking and, and warp my perspective on his calling in my own life. Times like these will typically either bring us into bad habits or they will cause us to fall on our knees. As I have started to see myself as God sees me, as his redeemed child, once saved by grace, not scarred by sin and shame, he has given me eyes to see that not only will his calling direct me and guide me, but that it will also bring joy as I surrender my will to his. Gratefully, he draws us to himself and he guides us and he leads us on the path that he has designed. That path is not always clear and oftentimes it's blurred. There have been times where I, I felt like Indiana Jones standing on a cliff, just waiting for that path to appear, looking down, wondering where my next step will be. And then I get to that point where I recognize I, I just have to step out in faith and we do so. And the footing appears and God provides the way. Sometimes we just have to step out and do it with fear. I, I love this, this quote by Elizabeth Elliot. It says, sometimes when we are called to obey, the fear does not subside and we are expected to move against the fear. One must choose to do it afraid. I know that I have definitely had to move forward in fear at times. Can anyone relate? God has taught me that calling is not always clear, but it is daily waking up with open hands and saying, Lord, what do you have for me today? It is spending sweet time with Jesus. It's walking with him. It's talking with him. It's spending time reading scripture. Those are the things that bring clarity. Those are the things that guide us. Not always clarity for what's next, but definitely clarity that we are called to follow Jesus. Last weekend, Pastor Ryan talked about how 
Jesus' first and last words to Peter were, follow me. Following means letting go, letting go of the sin, letting go of the shame, the insecurity, and embracing our identity, embracing who God says we are. But it also requires engagement. It means stepping forward in faith and sometimes in fear to what he has called us to. Because we can have confidence to know that even when we don't know exactly what that path is, what it is that he's calling us to, that path has been created by a good God. Oh, I'm so grateful for those words, that, that challenge and encouragement from Lynette. Hey, if you're following along in your notes, can I encourage you to write this down under the calling section that you remind yourself of your identity and that you walk boldly into God's destiny for you. You know, a lot of us struggle with how do I find out what my calling is? A friend of mine developed a tool. It's simply called Stone Wires and Fires. It looks through the milestones and the events of, of our life that have been significant. The way that we're naturally wired and the fires, the things that we're passionate about. You can find that tool on our website and our show notes and on our social media pages. And I'd encourage you to, to download it and to think through what your calling might be. So as we close today, I just have an encouragement for all of the followers of Jesus out there, for the disciples and, and especially for the moms out there, that what if our goal wasn't to keep up with the Joneses or the Kardashians? But what if our goal was to follow boldly after Jesus? And what if we stopped measuring ourselves against our social media feed, against all the pictures, perfect pictures on Instagram and Pinterest? What if we stopped measuring our resume against the resume of somebody else's? And what if we tried to hear what Jesus was inviting us to do? What if we started to try to hear what race he was calling us to run? What if we did what the author of Hebrews tells us to do? in chapter 12, verses one through two. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that set out before us. How do we do that? Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Friends, let us run the race that's set out before us, not before someone else, but the race that God has set out before us. See, and this is our last point today. You can write this down. You don't get to decide which race you run. You only get to decide to run faithfully. And I pray that you will because we are freed from the destructive power of comparison when we walk confidently in God's calling. I've invited Lynette to come back as we close our time together and to give a blessing to all the moms out there who are worshiping with us on Mother's Day. Moms, as you embrace your God-given uh, calling, may you go in the grace and the knowledge and the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and may you walk into the calling to which he has called you.
knowing who he says you are. Amen.